22 and we are here today to do season one finale prophecy girl and with, i'm your host carl and with me as always an integral part of the rogue opinion scooby gang it's sam carmichael hello sam hello and um, how are you yeah doing quite well and we're now into the new year so hopefully it's going to be better than last year we can but hope, but we've been saying this for a couple of years now, and things haven't got a great deal better since 2020, have they, unfortunately? Sadly not. Just when we thought it was safe to go out, we get Omicron virus. Yes, yes, just more time at home, more time at home. <laughs> and this is the first time I've seen you since, well, spoken to you since Christmas. So did you have a good Christmas and New Year and everything? Yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, went and spent it with my partner's family, which was nice since he hasn't seen them since, I think, oh, I can't even remember, I think like April, maybe further back. Oh, wow, that's a long time, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because we're just like with the whole, you know, lockdown and stuff, we haven't been able to travel up and we thought since both of us have had our vaccines and things like that, we'd be able to, you know, travel up and be a little bit safer than it was, say like this like this time last year so yeah we were able to go up and it was I think it's the first time I've ever spent Christmas away from my family so it was it was interesting <laughs> but it was good that's good that that's good yeah, you didn't have Nicholas Sturgeon saying you cannot pass <laughs> <laughs> that's true that's true although I think after having so long in lockdown even if she did say that um I think you know, if you've got your vaccines and things like that, you should be all right, I think. Yeah, it's not like you're a top tennis player trying to get into Australia after all. Mm-hmm. Oh, that has been a bit of a mental mental story for him, hasn't it? <laughs> Just a little <laughs> bit. Just a little bit. So, um, did you know, did you know this year is 25 years since Buffy first aired? Wow, I didn't actually know that. Wow, I didn't realise it was that long ago. No, no, it's it's even crazier for me because you know I was uh, watching the original watching the original run. I think it's twenty five years since I was a seventeen year old. It's very scary. <laughs> you wonder where the time went. I just don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> it's it's getting scary. Put it that way. <laughs> but yes, this was a really good episode. One of my favorite episodes, actually. I forgot how much I loved this episode. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I kind of forgot um, just how good it was, like going back and re-watching it and things like that and just seeing like the character development that happens. It's, it's just so good to kind of go back and, and see it again. Yeah, and it, is, it feels like a proper finale as well. So I don't know if this point, if they had a second season commissioned or not, because it was always like a, a mid-season replacement that's why there's um only 12 episodes on season one so um because there's not really any sort of cliffhanger is there like some some seasons when they know they've got a new season to go into they leave things a little bit open as they did with the end of um, season two um, mm-hmm. but this is pretty much pretty much a closed closed book so it so it's quite good in that way. Yeah, because um, if you think back to like a lot of different shows that got cancelled that left on a cliffhanger, the fans were like, oh, what happens? But with this, because they didn't know if they were going into a second season or not, the way they end it, if they, if they didn't have a second season, it would have finished 
you know that at least that story arc and you're not left wondering what's going on so yeah it's a it's a good way to play it yeah and if it, if it never got a second season i just i don't know what i'd have done with my life to be quite honest. i know it's so good and when you look back and you just think of how much it was just a part of like growing up and things like that when just watching it and having it being like a huge like part of your life you just kind of sit there thinking what what would have happened if there was only one season i mean it never hit the the mega heights of like uh, an x-files or mm-hmm. um as in, you know as ratings were concerned or like a, like a game of thrones and today's money but it was mm-hmm. still it was still one of these shows of um, the late 90s early 2000s you know everyone i knew was talking about it even if they didn't it didn't seem to have the, the huge vision the huge viewing figures so you know and it's been so influence influential down the years as well especially when it comes to you know casting lead women and some of the sort of storylines you see in sci-fi so, oh, you know that this is something similar i've seen done in buffy mm-hmm. yeah and i like with buffy they've made her this badass character but she's still quite a girly girl at heart Whereas with nowadays, a lot of your female characters, it's like they don't let them be feminine. It's like they need to strip everything that's feminine away from them in order for them to be, you know, these tough leading ladies. So I like that Buffy's still got like her charm and her uh, her quirks. Yeah, and, and she's she's a little bit Peter Parker in a way because... She has real life teenage problems. Yeah, yeah, I can. Monsters. Yeah, I can see the the parallels of that, especially with the one liners that she gets in this in this episode. Yeah, it's it's good to kind of see her be playful even when she's facing, you know, a deathly situation. Yeah, exactly. But I think we often try and find humour as a way of comfort in um, sort of disarming moments and. Uh, and whatnot so I, I always like the fact there's a bit of humor you know humor added mm-hmm. in uh, in these things mm-hmm. just to get sort of stuck in the, the episode opens with a, a a teaser before the episode starts proper and we sort of see them uh Zander and willow at the bronze and the sort of trying his chat up lines with um willow um, not to say they're bad or anything, but they're about as good as mine, to be fair to him. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's quite difficult for him, considering Buffy, it just seems like out of all the girls in the high school, Buffy, in appearance-wise, is just well out of everyone else's league. Yeah, and, you know, they, they he's been hanging about with her a while now, so, you know, he must know in his heart of hearts. He's, he's well and truly friend-zoned by now. Oh, yeah, he should have definitely made his move a lot sooner. Us guys, you know, when we're when we're attracted to pretty girls, it, you know, especially at that age, we always find it difficult somehow. <laughs> so it is quite realistic that he's sat on this for a while, and now he's sort of plucked up the courage to make his move. Bless him. Mhm. Yeah, and sadly, it doesn't really go the way he wants it to. No, no, and sort of Willow sort of crushes on him a little bit as well. So. It's it's not exactly easy on her either that he's got eyes on on someone else. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, speaking at it from a female perspective, um, 
especially at that age, like I would never ever have approached a guy that I was into or a guy that I liked because it was always one of those kind of like self-conscious things because I can really relate to Willow a lot with like the shyness and things like that that she's in the first season and yeah I, I would probably have done the same as same as her just like you know crushing from afar and not really seeing how I felt. Yeah exactly just to steal, to steal a line and a catchphrase from another pod I do Dating ain't easy. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and um, they mentioned Buffy not being there, and then we um, flashed to the park where um, Buffy's sort of fighting a, a vampire. We start off with a little bit of slow mo, which is quite cool, actually. It's not something we, we see get used a lot in Buffy, but yeah, it's only for like 30 seconds or so. It's a nice effect, and I think it works quite well yeah yeah because i felt like the way they were setting up with this vampire she was fighting that he was meant to be quite intimidating and you know quite powerful but she was able to pick him off rather easily uh so i think like the slow-mo it helped with the uh, tension that the scene was building yeah i mean she's in sort of full slayer mode here she's full of confidence and regular vampires aren't really too much too much trouble for an for an eye really mm-hmm. you can pretty much fight them off and, and state them with ease and we also see a little bit of uh, cordelia in a car with, uh, with one of their many fellas and um she says oh can you hear something or something seems strange <laughs> yeah well, i was wondering it's like how would you be able to hear like uh someone who weighs like maybe 50 pounds at most being like falling backwards it just seems like um it, it just seems like that i don't think she would have heard buffy fall on the ground oh perhaps she has really sensitive hair and you know <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this, this is like perhaps the first episode that Cordelia really sort of gets um sort of pulled into things really she's always she's been around and about but um she sort of um almost sort of becomes part of the gang really in, in this sort of um this episode and then from season two she gets more integrated into things yeah and i thought that uh, towards the end of the episode she really did hold her own rather well <laughs> yeah yeah we, we get to see a lot more of of who Cordelia really is, and she's more than like the, the shallow it girl, as we find out. Sort of a character develops in uh, in season two, which we will get to in due course. And then we get to one of my probably one of my favourite shots of the episode is the uh, when we look down from the skylight into into the library. Uh, I, I love that shot. I think it's so cool, and it sort of sets things up for the end of the episode as well. Yeah, it's a really nice shot and. Seeing uh, is that the one where Giles is looking at the books for the mm. the prophecy? Yeah, and he kind of sees something. He he's not too keen on his box, and he reaches for his, his cup of tea, and um, we get the uh, the earthquake. It's quite a big earthquake, and uh, it makes a bit of a mess of the, the old library there. Yeah, and I think that. Uh, the way it was they were able to do it as in like the filmmaking sense having the the walls break and the uh, floor as well I just thought that was really really cool and it really does uh, hold up even though it was filmed so long ago 
yeah, for a you know for a thing a show that's done on a relatively small budget, twenty five mm-hmm. years ago, um, the effects, the makeup, a lot of it holds up really well, surprisingly well in fact. But yeah, we get um, and then we get down to um, the master in his in his layer, and he senses his his time is near, and he does his like big sort of bad evil thing. Raises his hands in the air, going, glory, glory. And then there's a little bit of comedy. He turns to his anointed running. That's what do you think? 5.1? <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot that uh, the master had like those little one-liners uh, when I was watching it. And that just cracked me up because I just wasn't expecting him just to turn and just be like, have like a witty one-liner there. I just thought that was really funny. Yeah, and he, he's really good later on as well in, um, when he comes sort of face-to-face with Buffy too. So uh, he he plays a good part, uh, Mark Metcalf, as a master. And again, the, make, the makeup still looks pretty convincing, even though it was, you know, so long ago they did such a good job, stuff like that, um, on Buffy. So we get the episode um, starting, starting proper, and um, Giles is uh, one of the first things I can remember. Is Giles um, in a bit of a stew, trying to work out what this prophecy is, and he's uh, on the phone to on the phone to um, assume his angel because he said something about um, I need to see I need to see you, and he says I'm like yeah yeah obviously you you have to come after midnight. So pretty much the the giveaway of it. It must be Angel he's talking to. Hopefully they're trying to find desperately trying to find a way out of this uh, prophecy he's come by. Yeah, I think it's pretty good that the the um the other teacher help is at the door, kind of listening in, wondering what's going on, and comes in and uh, is able to uh, help out Giles figure out this whole situation because she thinks that an apocalypse is happening because of all the crazy things that are happening uh and she knows the occult stuff so people have been giving her all these crazy things that's happening so i think it's interesting that she's kind of wanting to know more about what's going on but giles doesn't really truly trust her at that point uh to kind of go into the nitty-gritty of it yeah, so uh, a little bit of background, uh, just for listeners, you should know who we are about, um, Miss, Mrs. Jenny Callender, um, she popped up first in the episode I, Robot, I, Jane, and she's um, like a techno-pagan, isn't she, a bit of a witchy type who's also good with computer science, quite a badass combination, to be fair. Yeah, she does seem quite an interesting character uh even just uh just at the start of the series and she's into some interesting things and it can help the gang out with all her knowledge yeah and uh she's seriously attractive as well i had a, a huge crush on her back in the day i, I don't mind admitting <laughs> she is nice she is very nice on the eyes some uh got a couple of interesting facts on uh the actress uh, Robbia Lamote. If uh, you'll you'll indulge me for a second, she's uh, she was uh, formerly a dancer, and she was one half of um, Diamond and Pearl, uh, Prince's backup dancers for his uh, Diamond and Pearl album and tour. Mm, that's interesting. 
Yeah, she does appear. Appeared before she was hired by Prince. She does appear um, as a backup dancer for various other artists and maybe in the other video um, as well. But that's her most, perhaps her most prominent dancing role um, uh, for the for the Prince thing. And I think she quit dancing to get into acting around the age of twenty-five. Wow. Because usually with um, actors, they usually are kind of like start off like when they're younger. So that's quite interesting. Mm. And, um, and her name means the death, translated into English. Now that's cool. That, that's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, she was meant to be a one and done actress in that episode I mentioned before. But she proved so popular and like, the crew, you know, Joss Whedon and other, others high up like to so much, they decided to bring her back and it worked out really well because she becomes quite an important character uh, in season two which we won't spoil now but uh, you must remember that I I should imagine oh yeah yeah and we also get um, the the early going in this episode uh, Xander finally asking Buffy actually to go to the the dance with him but as we alluded to before it's a goes the way you'd expect, turns him down. He, I don't know, I think he takes it quite well, to be fair. Hmm, I mean, for me, I think he kind of whines a bit too much, you know, and then he is quite harsh with her when he talks about Angel and things like that, and, you know, and it's like, ugh, I don't know, I just think he, he kind of should have just took it on the chin, but he tries to cover it up with, with humour and things like that, you know about how he's uh, been rejected so much he should be good at it by now but um yeah I don't know I just it just kind of rubs me the wrong way when he just kind of starts being quite harsh towards Buffy yeah maybe because the friends he, he could have could have been but got to remember that they're only like what's supposed to be 16 17 and uh he has been crushing quite hard on us so i don't know i don't think i'd have taken it much better personally but <laughs> bless him but yeah <laughs> what can you do what can you do and um the uh we see buffy uh going to sort of oh, she's freshening up or washing her hands or something and blood comes out of the sink now that now that would be a scary deal yeah that would be really creepy <laughs> Either, either there's some sort of biblical stuff going on or the skills plumbing is screwed. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to be going about in those pipes. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And um, so she goes um, to tell Giles what she has seen and uh, walks in on a conversation she was not supposed to be a part of. When um, Giles and Angel are sort of discussing this um, this prophecy, um, Giles is sort of he wants to sort of find a, a loophole, but he's sort of convincing himself and Angel that what's been written in this particular prophecy will come true. It's I think it's words like it's a codex, and everything in the codex comes to pass. And Angel sort of desperately, well, you know, we don't know this, and he sort of. It, you know, Buffy will face the master and he will die. And Buffy's sort of reaction is to sort of let a bit of a nervous laugh. Not sure how I'd take it, to be honest, but uh, it's as good as way as any. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really, really um, love her acting in this one, Sarah Michelle Gellar. It's just she 
embodies like that like a teenager kind of attitude I think like with kind of going through like a whole load of different emotions you know like that you know she has that nervous laugh and then you can see the the sadness and the fear that she has but then you also see the anger because she feels like uh everyone you know they either weren't going to tell her or they feel like she can't do it she's not strong enough and then the fear that she's going to be replaced by someone else and I just think that that entire scene was just very powerful yeah definitely I mean she's had this responsibility sort of forced onto her anyway she I mean she never asked to be the slayer and then she she finds out and, and told that she's predestined to die at the hands of the master when she's barely 16 so yeah I mean it's not not the great best news you want to hear really is it let's, let's be honest yeah that's true and I really like how subtle she was with the tears as well when she was like I'm just 16 you know uh I don't want to die and it's like oh, that's just so just pulls at the heartstrings yeah it really does it's, 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 as you say it's very powerful very emotional it's one of the things that Sarah Michelle Gellar's very good at apparently is sort of uh, crying on on command for, for acting scenes a lot of actors say crying is easy it's um making sort of laughter look spontaneous and real it's the, the really tricky part yeah i can definitely uh, see that uh because when you see really bad actors and they're trying to laugh and make it seem natural it just sounds terrible and feels so forced yeah it really does and um we she sort of kind of sort of quits doesn't she says you know i can't do so much she pulls her little crucifix off the angel gave her and throws it onto the floor and sort of storms out and i think i'd probably do pretty much the same thing to be honest yeah i mean if you've been thrown into a situation that you didn't choose to be in and then you're just gonna die anyway so it's like yeah i'd probably quit too (laughs) can't kill me i'm quitting (laughs) and then yeah uh, we also get uh, Paul Zander sulking in an empty classroom, throwing a tennis ball against the wall. Uh, Willow comes to sort of console him. He's, he asks him, you can go to the dance. We can go to the dance together. And um, Willow's not having any of that. She says, why would I want to go with you when all you're going to be doing is wishing you were with her? And I think she's quite right to do that. She shouldn't be anybody sort of second choice or full guy she's far too good for that bless her yeah I love that moment where she was standing her ground and being very uh um not forceful but like um just pretty much telling him that I'm not gonna be like your constellation constellation prize Mm -hmm. yeah and I just love it because she sounds so sweet when she was saying it but you could still hear the the edge in her voice when she was saying it. Uh, I just thought it was so good. Definitely. And it's one of the things I really love about this series is you get to see so much character development from everyone as the seasons sort of move on, but uh, especially Willow. Uh, she sort of grows and changes and, and what have you. Yeah, her character development is really, really good because like, I couldn't imagine Willow from the first episode being able to say that to Xander. So, yeah, even in such a short period of time, she's able to really 
uh, grow and come into our own. Yeah, I would say the only character that sort of um, um, gets close to the sort of um, development she goes through is probably um, Wesley when he moves over to Angel. That's mm-hmm. on from bumbling Bethune into quite a hard ass actually by the end of things. Yeah, yeah, because um, yeah, when he goes over to Angel, he just gets so much. I think he gets so much more to do as well, and he's not just, you know, playing second fiddle to Giles. Yeah. Again, he was another character that was supposed to be killed quite early on, but they decided they liked him that much that they decided to to keep him hanging around, and they actually found good use for him as well an angel. So it all worked out pretty well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we, um, we then go into uh, sort of seeing... Um, the master sort of plotting and planning and he sort of sends the anointed one to, to go and find Buffy to, to bring to bring him to him. Just, uh, not a lot. Not a lot happens there, but it's important to mention that you know the United One now is, is going to go to the surface to to find Buffy. And uh, we also get the bit now this really is quite a a chilling bit, the, the the bit in the common room um, when I and Cordelia are sort of talking outside it, talking about oh boys, you know what 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 are they doing? And they walk in, and basically everyone's just been mass massacred. And um, even though the, um, there's not a huge amount of blood, it, it's still especially for something targeted at a relatively young audience. It's quite a chilling scene to see that many people sort of um, dead, really. Yeah, especially with it being teenagers as well. It's just Mm. so, like, visually striking. It doesn't need to be all gory and things like that, but just seeing the lifeless bodies there is is enough. Uh, But, yeah, I was actually quite shocked when I seen that the first time. I was like, wow, they they really went there. uh, especially with having like the younger younger audience, uh, but yeah, it was quite quite a chilling uh, scene. I think it was just because not just the fact of the dead bodies, but the fact that they were teenagers and they were. I, th- I don't know why it just seems like it's more like chilling when it's younger people that are killed. Yeah, it's sort of a it's a powerful image, and I sort of like the way um, like a. A bloody handprint on the TV screen, and it's got the, the three little pigs cartoon, and they're sort of dancing, dancing around, um, not aware of the horror that's to come from the from the big bad wolf, and um, that's, you know, pretty symbolic to to what's happening here. The the, the master's like the, the big bad wolf. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice little parallel there. Um, we also see Buffy uh, home with her mom, and mum's gone out and bought her this really nice prom dress that she's um, been eyeing up for a while and she's like oh you you can't afford this and she goes we can't especially the way you've got this really nice prom dress which uh, figures uh, quite a bit in this episode um everyone telling her that they like her dress is uh pretty cool uh, what do you what do you think is a uh, of the dress i think it's a really really nice dress and i love that the like um and the show they match it with the leather jacket i just think that's it's really really cool yeah i think that i think that works really well the leather there yeah she's trying on the dress and mum shouts at buffy something something happened at the school at willow and then the next scene is uh buffy in mother's bedroom 
and when I sort of trying to explain to the um, sort of what it's sort of meant to see everything and like it, you know, the, the the dead lad, you know, there were guys she knew, and it it didn't feel like their world anymore. The vampires come in and and made it theirs. Yeah, this was another really powerful scene, and like the acting again, just top notch, and it's quite subtle. It's not like overly like overacting. It's just very subtle. It's very uh like again it just pulls at your heartstrings that something so tragic has happened and it's an effect it's affecting willow very deeply and yeah i just think it's a very powerful powerful scene yeah definitely and then buffy sort of realizes at that point that she can't turn her, her back on her destiny and this isn't this isn't something that's going away just because she doesn't want it to happen she's gonna have to she's gonna have to face it head on yeah and i think that her seeing how it's affecting uh, her friends is really kind of like the point that gets her to kind of realise that this is something that she has to do. She goes back to the library and uh, she says, oh, I'm going to face the master, but Giles is now dead against it. They say, no, no, you can't. I'll go and, I'll go and face the master. It's about, you're right, I've been sitting on the sidelines too long. It's about time I... Uh, got into the real world but uh, Buffy and I think Giles deep down, deep down knows he's no match for the master so um, he won't listen to reason so she um, smacks Giles on the chin knocking him out uh, one of many knockouts poor old Giles he, he must have some serious concussion going on bless him <laughs> yeah I think that was one of the moments where I laughed out loud because I totally forgot that it happened <laughs> that way and when it when I see that again, it was just so uh it was just so funny. And Giles played it perfectly. <laughs> yeah, and she just says to the Miss Cannon who's still there. I think when he comes around, just tell him tell him something cool and say I said it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we see her go outside into the, the school grounds and she sees the United one, he sort of says, Help me and she's and Buffy's like, Don't worry. I know who you are, and he takes her hand and obviously leads her to the master. Yeah, and I don't know what it is with like young children in horror films or um, like these <laughs> kind of creepy, aren't they? Yes, <laughs> it's like do they? It's like I'm sure the actor is a lovely person, but ah, there's something about like I don't know if it's the way they like do the uh the casting they just pick the creepiest looking child possible for the parts <laughs> yeah i mean they were quite good at that buffy especially in earlier episodes of playing to these like sort of weird fears they, they had that one with um the puppet in season one which was uh very creepy these, these lifelike dolls and puppets they always weird me out i work in a charity shop people often donate these porcelain dolls are very sort of lifelike looking things and oof, I have to have them facing a, away from me because they sort of creep me out <laughs> <laughs> yeah when I was younger my mum had so many porcelain dolls and they were just up in the on the shelves and in, in my room they're all on the top shelf and yeah I think I'm just it's like I can see the creepiness of them, but I think because I was just surrounded by them when I was younger, it's not as creepy as, say, like, 
creepy children horror movies. Or maybe you're Drusilla in disguise. Oh, maybe, maybe. Shh. <laughs> 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 uh, but yeah, so um, she's led to the master. We see um, Xander in the library. So Jars is coming round. He's pretty upset that uh, he leave that Buffy go. And great life from Giles. There seemed to be purple area up at Giles' test. I did not let her do anything. <laughs> oh, I love that line. <laughs> it's just brilliant. He had, he had some great, he had some great lines to Giles. Well, they all do, to be fair. But uh, yeah, they, they say they don't know where the master is or how to find him. But Vanda knows somebody he does. So he goes storming off and. Um, <laughs> We find out quite soon after that he's gone to find Angel, who's not exactly thrilled to see him, to be fair. Yeah, and Xander has some, some good lines as well with his back and forth with Angel as well. And yeah, it's pretty pretty tense with the two of them together. Just, just a tiny bit. You'd almost think they were both in love with the same woman. It's that tense. <laughs> But I like the thing. I like the way he says, mind if I come in as he storms inside and uh, he's just like, make yourself at home. <laughs> and he's talking about facing the master and, and he's like, you face the master, you don't have time to breathe if you are lucky. And uh, yeah. Dan's just trying to convince him uh, to help her and Angel says, you're in love with her. And he's, he sort of says, well, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, I do like when he just gets the cross and just puts it in his face. <laughs> oh, yeah, when, I forgot about that bit. That's a good bit, yeah. <laughs> when in doubt, get the cross out. That's it, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, we sort of see um, Buffy now. She's sort of led down the sewers into the master's hideout and the anointed one sort of motions. It's in that direction. And then he wanders off. So this is, this is not a a battle he's supposed to be part of and it kind of makes sense that he wanders off because he, he crops up again in, in season two, spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so they have a bit of um, their, their little sort of meeting, the, the master and um, Buffy, she says something about his, um, his hideout, doesn't she? Um, about the decor and the master's Ah, yes, the, the pointless banter portion of the fight. <laughs> <laughs> but he's been he's been quite sort of um, sort of cat and mouse with her, isn't he? He's, he's sort of hiding from her, I think, because he needs her to, to walk into that certain section he, he is, because he, he, he can't sort of get to her. So it, it's quite it's quite cool and quite creepy the way it's sort of the way it's sort of done all sort of cat and mouse and. And he, Buffy fires um, um, a crossbow bolt at him and he just catches it and says, nice shot. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's good because it kind of plays on Buffy's uh, kind of like her drive to get this done and finished with, that she is just heading straight in, head like heading straight in without much of a plan and not wondering well why is he staying out of the way and kind of egging me on to come further in so I thought that was quite a strategic move on the master's part yeah exactly and then once she's in place he sort of appears sort of behind her she tries to sort of 
get away, but he uses like his vampiric hypno stuff on her and sort of pull pulls her back towards him. And um, as he sort of as he sort of biting her, he, he tells her that funny thing is prophecies are tricky tricky creatures. They don't tell you everything. He goes, "You came here to stop me, but the truth is." If you didn't come, I couldn't go. And he sort of quite likes quite likes that um, to gloat. And instead of sort of, um, sort of finishing her off, he, he leaves her to sort of drown in a puddle of water. Should never do that. No, if you're going to kill no. someone, finish them off. <laughs> <laughs> that, that proves to be his uh, his undoing. Yes, he he deserved his downfall for that grave mistake but that sort of that sort of thing about prophecy sort of comes back and and bites him on the bum though but watching this for the first time were you shocked that um the the master basically kills her there and then yeah because um because i think like with nowadays it's like it's kind of obvious that the main characters aren't going to die uh are they're not going to be in like a lot of danger really if they are they're going to get out of it so yeah it was really 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 shocking that it happens because um because you're sitting there thinking oh she's going to be fine she's going to be fine and then she's not fine so uh yeah i thought it was really quite surprising the first time i seen it yeah it sort of caught me off guard as well um i wasn't expecting him to sort of bite her and leave her to die and I think what he's sort of alluding to is that the, it's her blood, because she's a slayer and very powerful, it's her blood that gives him the power to, to break free of his mystical prison. So if she hadn't gone down to confront him, he'd have, you know, he'd have never been able to bite her and, and leave. I think that's part of the reason he doesn't um, sort of kill her himself. He, he wants her to sort of... Have those as her last thoughts as she uh, slowly drowns to death. Quite, it's quite a nasty piece of work, this master bloke, to be fair. Yeah, because the whole reason she decided to stay was because well-seen classmates that she knew die. Otherwise, she would have just not bothered. So, yeah, so you can see how the master's been pulling the strings behind the scenes for quite a while. Uh, to have everything in place so yeah yeah definitely i think it worked well for the the series that it was always his minions that were getting foiled by buffy not him himself so he all so he kept his sort of um um that's the other word i'm looking for but you know he kept the sort of threat of the master alive right to the to the end of the season you know it'd be quite easy to have a, a villain that Buffy stops time and time again, and then by the time you get to the season finale, there's not much threat there. But mm-hmm. the threat of the Masters is always looming throughout the series, and you always think if he ever gets free out of his mystical prison, uh, you know, or hell, it's going to break loose, and it quite literally does, as we see um, in the library there, sort of discussing where this Hellmouth is, where is it going to open? And Jazz, oh yeah, good point. Never, never actually thought of that. So um, they sort of say, oh, they sort of um, conclude wrongly that it might be the bronze because that's where um, they had the harvest back in the first episode. So mm-hmm. um, did, um, this calendar run out 
to, to sort of see what's going on at the bronze where they don't get very far before they find an army of um, vampires coming towards the uh, the school. <laughs> yeah, and I love how the fog always has a perfect timing to make creepy vampires look even creepier. Yeah, and they're all they're all quite sort of sort of bit zombie like. So I don't know if they're they're sort of being sort of pulled there, I suppose, by by the master. But uh, they get a bit surrounded. Um, just when you think uh, there's no escape, Cordelia comes in her car, tells them to get in. <laughs> Great, <laughs> this is. She sort of plies through the water doors of the school corridors in her in her car. I'm honestly surprised the the car fit. <laughs> I just compare yeah. it to what mass school mass hallways were like, and you could barely fit three people standing side by side in one hallway. So. <laughs> Yeah, but it was fun to just see the total destruction of, like, half the, the school. <laughs> it's um, a, a prelude of what's to come in season three. And, and uh, yeah, they, they say, oh, they're, they're coming, the vampires are here, and uh, they're coming through the stacks and everything, so they're all trying to barricade the library uh, the best they can, um, trying to stop the vampires from getting, getting to them. But um, something far worse is lurking from down below as we sort of see a tentacle at first sort of creep up through the crack um, that the earthquake made at the beginning of the episode. So um, what demony things are starting to come through the hellmouth by the look of it. Yeah, and I thought that it was very... The way they made it move was even creepier as well and... The texture that they gave it as well um, just added to the creep factor. Yeah, definitely. And then we go back to um, Buffy and the sewer. Xander and uh, Angel arrive just moments after the master has left. They find Buffy. Uh, Angel turns her over and just not breathing. And uh, says, we, can, we can perform CPR. And even though Angel is huffing and puffing like he's just run a marathon, he tells um Zandu, you'll have to do it i have no bra well at least that, <laughs> like you've got no bra i've got no bra <laughs> uh, at least Xander gets to have some uh one-on-one time with buffy i suppose yeah well he gets to have his hero moment yeah mm-hmm. he, uh, yeah he managed to to bring buffy back i think i think there's some uh, I mean, there's not just done by there's something mystical as well. The way she just sort of comes back because she 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 even says she feels stronger than before mm-hmm. as well. The weather, yeah. the weather, there's been a bit of an intervention as well by um, the powers that be, uh, which were more of a thing mentioned in Angel than on on Buffy. But uh, you get the feeling there's. In some sort of divine intervention of some sort, there, I think. Yeah, yeah, you do definitely get that kind of that sense and that feeling uh, that something else is going on. And uh, I think this is where uh, my favourite part happens when they're walking towards the the school and you hear that theme music playing again. Yes. It's just, ah, oh, it's so good. <laughs> Brilliant. And then a vampire. Um, guarding the, the doorway and Buffy says, oh look, a bad guy. And <laughs> pushes him out of the way with ease. Oh yeah, it just kind of kicks the 
episode into another gear, and it's great. <laughs> she uh, walks up the stairs, you can sort of see the, the big hole in the door where the man punched his way through, and you sort of there's a good shot of him actually on, on top of the the, the, the roof, um, looking at the the, the the lit city in the darkness, and he's like, "Oh my world, my beautiful world," and you can't help but sit there thinking, "But you're getting slightly ahead of yourself here, pal." <laughs> yes, and I just think it's great where you he's having like his uh, victory moment, but just a little too soon. Just a little bit. A bit, a bit like me when Manchester United were two 0 up the other day. I'm getting a bit carried away with myself. <laughs> but the less said about that, the better. <laughs> 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 yeah, we're back into the library. Uh, Willow, as always, uh, the damsel in distress. She gets um, pulled by the tentacle and dragged across the library and. We sort of see this creature thing um, rise up, looks like three-headed, quite slimy-looking demon. And to be fair, again, it's not too bad special special effects for for back in back in those days, really. I have to say. Yeah, it's like the practical effects are so they're so good. It's like because if you look at some other shows from that time period, they might have used like some really terrible CGI that looks like it's something from a PS1 game. But with the, this show, they really went all out when it came to the practical effects. And I think it just goes to show the amount of, you know, love and, you know, uh, energy they wanted to put into this show. Yeah, and I always feel like older films that use a lot of practical effects do hold up a lot better um than, than films that rely a lot on CGI. I mean, when you consider how old Star Wars is and how good the effects of all the spaceships and all that still look today because they use proper models and proper, pra- you know, and practical mm-hmm. effects when they could compared to um, a lot of films that use C- CGI, some even when they were done back in the day. Like I always find The Scorpion King to be a good example when they're, mm-hmm. when they're trying to CGI the rock's face onto this thing, and it and it just looks it looks awful even back in the day, but you know mm-hmm. you rewatch it now, it looks it looks terrible. So yeah, I think practical effects are are the way to go when when yeah. you know when possible. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because um, just like even like for an actor, I think it's a lot easier for them to act alongside an actual prop like a prop head or something than it is for them to just act next to nothing and then we'll just digitally put it in later so yeah I think it's I think it's really really much better to have like practical effects yeah you hear a lot of actors um saying a lot a lot of these a lot of films are acting on us against a screen screen with um you know having to fight or run away from something that isn't even there and and a lot don't really, you know, they, they, they don't really like it that much. They prefer to have something to work with. And um, you can't blame them, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I know if it was me, I would definitely be able to look more or act more terrified of something that's actually coming at me than, than just having to have that 
on the spot with nothing actually to kind of work work next to. But, uh, but Giles gets to have a bit of a hero moment himself. He, he grabs uh, an axe, quite a pathetic little axe if you ask me, but an axe nonetheless, and he, he manages to hack one of the tentacles of uh, a beastie. No, this isn't the uh, this isn't the last time we see this particular uh, prop and beast. He, he actually makes a another cameo appearance in a season three episode. I don't know if you remember that or not. Uh, I can't say I do, but I'll have to go back and have a look. <laughs> episode episode called the Zeppo. It's um it's where they sort of swap swap things around a little bit, like the, what would normally be the B story. In an episode becomes the A story. Um, oh, okay. I think, I think it's coming back. These witches trying to open up their the hell mouth is actually like the, the the sort of B story, like the background story. And you sort of mm-hmm. see it happen from Xander's point of view as he's trying to sort of do his little bit in the episode. Yeah, I think it's starting to slowly come back to me. <laughs> but yeah. It's, that's quite a fun episode, but but back back on track. There's a fun little bit in the library where a vampire um, breaks through with his hand and Cordelia bites him. <laughs> He's like, "See how you like it." Ah, oh, that was so funny. It's just one of those moments that I think is one of my favourite of Cordelia's. Just it's just so it's just a small, tiny little tip, but but it, it just works so well. It's so Cordelia as well, to be fair. Is is very Cordelia. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we get the final confrontation on the rooftop um, between Buffy and the Master, and um, they uh, he tries like his um, hypno stuff on her again, but Buffy's not having any of it this time. She's like, "Here's a bit of advice: save the hypnosis for the for the tourist." And she sort of grabs <laughs> the Master round the neck. And uh, if you want, you want hell so badly, um, go and join it or something. And she sort of flips him over in a cool move through the sky, like down onto uh, I think it's like a broken table, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. Pointing up with he, he lands heart first onto onto that, and we sort of, he sort of dies because he's older and more powerful. He kind of dies in a different way as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I must say, that's one hell of a name to be able to get that angle and put them through the, the table the way she did. I know, yeah. I mean, I mean, you should have good aim with that superpower slayer. To, <laughs> to be fair to her. And yeah, you sort of see your sort of, your sort of skin and flesh sort of turning into dust a bit slower than a normal vampire. And it's sort of bones remain. Um, sort of comes into... Um, Season two actually plays a big part in the first episode of season two. So he's dead, but but is he? Dun dun dun. There's also a good bit which I forgot to mention when he um kill when he sort of kills Buffy and well bites her and leaves her to die. But earlier on when even he says, By the way, I like your dress. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And even at the end of the episode, Angel says it and she's like Yes, everyone seems to like my dress today. <laughs> yeah, and as the master dies, that must be the, the the sort of thing or the spell that sort of um, undoes the hellmouth because that monster's quickly sucked back in back in um, back into hell, and everything sort of goes back to normal. So um, all's well that ends well. Yeah, and 
it seems like everything's going back to normal and you know they're off to party at the prom or the spring fling yeah whatever it was see but see that was all like you know new and different things learn about proms and spring flings because i know we tend to have them in this country nowadays but but back then um it was still something that had yet to become popularized in um, british culture having these proms and stuff it was very much uh, an exclusively american thing and i think it's become more popular as we've um sort of embraced more sort of american things through watching you know these types of imported programs and that yeah because i remember when i was in high school we would have like dances for maybe like halloween or christmas or something like that like one of the big holidays but i don't remember ever having a prom or something like that so but yeah it's definitely more popular now with uh kind of bringing in more american culture into the british british culture i mean we'd have an end of year dance but that's that's what it was called i think they actually do call them proms nowadays oh well i've heard like you know some of my younger friends back in you know like five or six years ago they're all going to our going to our prom and and stuff like that. Well, all right, you actually call it a prom nowadays, do you? Or maybe they do it some some parts of the UK anyway. Because hmm. I think we may have done a prom at my school. I just didn't go because I was like, I can't be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Too cool for school. <laughs> I'd just rather stay at home and watch Buffy, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good as reason as any. Um, but yeah, it's, as it said, pretty much ends as you said. As you say, they they go off to the prom spring fling, and Buffy says, "Yeah, everyone seems to like the draft," and uh, yeah, fades to black. End of end of episode. And um, as I say, it, it is like a proper. If there wasn't a second se- season, it could have ended there with no one answered question. But they sort of use what they that they have well for the second series, like the. The United one, um, not not dying, and the Master's bones remaining, and 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 stuff like that. So, um, and also Buffy dying as well. That, that's an important plot device that's um, used as well in season two, um, which we'll probably get to, um, you know, get to in due course. Even though if you're still this year, you probably do know what what I'm uh, alluding at. Yeah, we get so we get well, say so we get Kendra the vampire slayer, and then then Faith from um, Buffy's like two minutes a day, mm-hmm. and that's another good bit as well. When he says uh, in the confrontation at the top of the roof, where uh, the master says, "But you die, it was written," and he says, "Oh, I flunked the written." <laughs> that, was a line. that was a great line. But it's like what he was saying about. Um, Prophecy's been tricky. Yeah, it said Buffy died, but it doesn't specify for how long. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, really enjoyable episode. Um, for me, it's a, it's a, it's a ten out of ten. Without a shadow of a doubt. Oh yeah, same here. Easily the best episode of season one, I would say, and probably one of the best episodes um, of all time. Yeah, because I think it's a really, it's got a good mix of powerful emotional scenes but also a good mix of action so yeah I think it's just one of those like top notch um, episodes. Yeah 
hundred percent. And um, yeah, that's it. That's a wrap for this week. And uh, just to give you some of my plugs before we sign off, you can find us at Rogue Underscore Opinion on Twitter and Instagram. Find our little website, RogueOpinion20.wordpress.com, and you can find other podcasts featuring lots more of me. If for some bizarre reason you want to hear more of me, there's. Uh, me and Liam talking about football and Guns and Devils, primarily Arsenal and Man United, which we might get back on to if Arsenal stop postponing games for stupid reasons. And also me and Scott have started um, doing a review of the book of Boba Fett. So um, make sure to tune into that. The first one's a, a double episode where we uh, review episode one and two. And uh, maybe episode three will be out by the time you listen to this. If not, it will be very soon. And um, Sam, anything you want to to plug before we sign off? Uh, no, I've not really got anything else on at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, nice chatting to you and talking about Buffy and we shall see you soon. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.